0: sports Tonight podcast my name is justin this is episode three thank you very much for joining us today if this is your first episode you've picked a great episode to start on we got lots to talk about if you've continued listener thank you very much for coming back if you are listening to this in the future what's it like how are sports are you treating them well don't take it for granted they could be ripped away from you just like that We are going to get into it right now, oh boy oh boy, everything has started to roll, things are getting put out there, people are really bored in quarantine, so they are coming up with conspiracy theories, they are coming up with plans, visions, they talked to their third cousin who used to date someone back in the 70s, who caught balls with some guy who touched a player, who said that they are coming back next week. If you're able to follow all that, well, you might be one of those people in your house coming up with theories and plans on how to get sports back. We are going to try and cover it all, uh, but first we do have to start off with some sad news. A great coach passed away this week, Don Shula, passed away on Monday. course he's known for leading the Dolphins to that 17-0 season which finished off with a Super Bowl he finished his career with 347 wins two Super Bowls he's the winningest coach in NFL history he is well known in the football community and the sports community many people know his name he's going to be missed but he lived a long life and left a lasting legacy for the teams that he coached the players and the sport itself so we will miss uh, coach Shula but his memory is not forgotten, and uh, he's forever changed the game. Everyone's always trying to catch him and his records. Andy Dalton goes to Dallas. Nothing more to talk about there. The Mountain set a new deadlifting record by deadlifting the entire island of Iceland. What was that? No? he. Uh, okay, I've been told that he did not deadlift the island. He deadlifted 1,104 pounds which is only one tenth of the island of Iceland. My apologies, it was close. He is an incredible athlete, an incredible strong man. He's gonna continue to break records and soon he might actually lift the island of Iceland or another island, who knows? He is also now training to be a boxer. In 2021, he is going to fight in the heaviest boxing match ever. And if someone gets knocked out in that, I'm sure an island will rumble. So we look forward to seeing all the new records that the mountain will set. And a new survey was put out there asking sports fans and people in the public if they would like sports to take place without fans to start it soon or wait until fans could come back to the stands. And of course the overwhelming response was we want sports back now. We don't need a crowd. We just need the sport. What kind of question is that? All the people that answered wait till the crowd is back. Please write the show. Sports Unite Podcast at gmail.com. dot Sports Unite Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Sports Unite Pod one on Twitter, let us know. Why would you want to wait till crowds can come back? Is it the roar of the crowd? Is it you actually want to be there? So that means the quarantine is over. If you can go to a sporting event, that is fine. But why make everyone wait? It makes no sense. Sports, if they can be played safely, bring them back. People have lots of time on their hands. There'd be no interruptions. You could watch sports because new TV is going to dry up soon. We have Netflix or Disney Plus or Hulu. Those are fine, but when sports are on, all those things can be watched on a phone when sports are on and speaking of sports coming back we do have some scenarios to go through that have been coming out with starting with the NHL uh, we've talked about before having the hub city scenario seems to be the safest way to get hockey back the downside to the hub scenario is that players may have to leave their families unless families are included which is a whole nother process that uh, we won't really talk about right now but Hub City seems to be the way that the NHL could finish the season and start playoffs now the NHL has given out detailed criteria to cities health agencies provinces and states on how to meet to be able to submit proposals the cities that keep getting brought up Edmonton appears to be one uh, working on a submission they're working with the Alberta Health Services to find a way to work with the city to bring in players, make sure everyone's safe, make sure everyone uh, can be quarantined and tested. That's still to be worked out, but cities are working with health organizations with their own states or provinces to figure out if there is a way for hub cities to work, get teams there, quarantine them, begin practices and playing. Mayors are being involved, senators, premiers, trying to find a way to get Leagues started back up again and the NHL finishing. Speaking of the NHL, a memo was sent out last Friday evening where they still want to try and have a June draft. Before that you need to have a lottery. The lottery is supposed to take place in April when all the teams who did not make the playoffs would be put in a lottery system. The memo dictates that there would be an amendment to the way the lottery is done where one team can win and if you win you move up four spots. So really, the best chances to get top pick would really only rest in the top five bottom teams. That's the old model that it used to be. So a team, the last team who did not make the playoffs could win the lottery, but they would only move up four spots. So if you're team 14 or team 15, you could only move up and get the 10th pick or the 11th pick. That's how it would work. Detroit would finish with the best odds, and then Ottawa. And then by way of default, Ottawa again with the San Jose pick. And then I believe it would be the Kings. And then uh, I believe another Eastern, uh, New Jersey. So teams like that would potentially be able to win the draft lottery and get the first pick, which is all they want. And the other teams could still win, but they would only move up four spots. This memo was sent out to team presidents and owners uh, to see how it feels, to see if they would reject it or accept it. I don't see a team rejecting this, No, it's a win-win for everyone. So I think this is the fairest option, Uh, everyone's going to be in there. So going back to the old format, just for this year is the the fairest way, uh, because if they do want to have this draft in June, they saw how successful the NFL draft was. It can be done without being in person. So, still having all eyes on a draft in June, you can make announcements there, Seattle could announce their name, who knows? But all of this has to be approved first. There's no official announcement on if this is going to take place, what date it's going to take place. It would give the fans something to look forward to. Everyone loves watching the lottery, so it's a win-win for everyone. Speaking of the quarantine, This could be an interesting development going forward the way that we schedule the NHL and in turn the NBA. It's been known for a while the NBA wants to start its season around Christmas because that's when it starts to get its biggest viewers. Christmas Day is basketball day, just like Thanksgiving is NFL day, the states. you know This could be the reason to get the NBA to start around Christmas. Now, a lot of people say that the NHL and NBA, what one does, the other will do as well. So what does that leave? Now, if you finish the season in July and August, you're going to need time off, which is where the December, November start time. So the NHL would be pushed its starting season as well. Would the NHL start around Thanksgiving then? It would be big. Uh, I mean, I should say American Thanksgiving. So end of November, the NHL does start up before the NBA about three weeks. So that's where you get the start in Thanksgiving, and then the NBA would start at Christmas. Does the NHL do it? They would have you know, a lot of time on their hands, all of fall, all the eyes, potentially more viewers. But what if they do? What if the NHL pushes its season? Hasn't really been discussed. It would never be discussed until something like this would happen. Now you can play into the summer. Even the purest of people who never want to see a change wouldn't argue. And they would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, finish the season, take a break, maybe play a condensed season and kind of get the schedule back on track. Is that the smartest thing to do though? Hear me out. Start the season in November. You go all through the winter and then you start the playoffs in June. Amazing weather. I love the feeling of going to a game in shorts, maybe a sweater, but no jacket. You feel the sun at 6 o'clock. It's not blowing, blizzard, wearing a heavy coat. You have to figure out how you're going to put your coat in your seat. Don't get me wrong. I love the feeling of fall because when fall begins, yeah, school starts, that was always a bummer. but then training camp would start the nfl has started training camp started in october the season starts and oh that smell of fall and you get the hockey games and then you get excited because you can start to play hockey outside on the rinks that's a good feeling but i do like the feeling of going to games in shorts because you knew that it was a playoff game you knew that it mattered and the warmer it got and your team was still playing oh that was such a good feeling Oh man, you could spend outside all day, watch the games outside on a big screen. That, oh man, gives me chills just thinking about it. So you get that. You have more people traveling to those playoff games because all weather would be theoretically good. There would be no winter weather compared to going to a game in Florida and then going up to Toronto or Montreal or Ottawa and you get snow at the beginning of playoffs. So that could work. You start the playoffs in June what is there to compete with? Baseball? Middle of the summer baseball would have nothing on playoff hockey. Everyone who does not really watch hockey says they've seen a playoff game and they feel the energy, they feel the excitement. Every play, every shift matters. They get that. They see that in playoff hockey. You would have no competition. That is, until the NBA follows suit. Because like I said, the NBA and NHL are kind of joined at the hip so if one league changes of course if basketball did the same thing start at christmas and then go into the summer nba basketball is exciting as well it you know every shift every point matters every turnover gets more and more exciting and i the same thing would happen with basketball the warmer weather if your team is still in it you would enjoy going to those games watching it outside gathering toronto the jurassic park other teams have viewing parties it's it's an exciting thing to gather with people and watch it outside you would have no scheduling competitions with arenas except for concerts, but there'd be no other competition, especially with dual arenas that do both hockey and basketball. That is, if only one league did that. It would be the same for the NBA. If the NBA did an NHL DIN, uh, which I could see happening, uh, they would have no booking competition past June. So those couple months would be fine. And here's the thing, yeah, players want the summers off, but if you don't make the playoffs, you're done in late May June still have your summers off if you make it all the way you have your time off in the fall that's still a really nice time to travel go on vacation schools in which would suck for players who have kids in school wouldn't be able to travel with them didn't think of that before but I enjoy traveling in the fall because there are less kids less families out there not saying there won't be any but it's a it's a really nice time to travel and the fall has nice weather course the closer you get to November and December at least in Canada the more snow you're going to have but that's okay I like traveling in the fall here's this out too when you factor in the Olympics if the NHL moved the schedule it would be in the front half and they would be more inclined to have that two week break to allow everyone every four years to go to the Olympics you'd have no problem you can make up the scheduling later in the season And it would be no problem now it's in February gonna have that late February hockey break and then March it's about as you know five six weeks left in the season that's people are gonna be tired but if if you move the season and then go to the Olympics in the kind of the front third of this season you're gonna have less problems with the scheduling I believe on the other hand if the NBA does that the NBA will not be able to participate in the Olympics you can participate in the Olympics, but if your team's still in it end of July, and that's maybe the second going into the third round of the season, if you're looking for those all-stars play on your team, you can't gamble that, oh, maybe LA won't be in the Western Conference Finals so LeBron and Anthony Davis can play on Team USA. That's gonna be a problem for uh, some teams like uh, USA, some European teams, uh, Team Canada. Smaller teams, though, probably won't complain. You might only get a couple NBA players. The rest are playing in Europe or other leagues around the world. They all stop for the Olympics. So those teams, the teams that you don't really see make waves in the Olympics year after year, or I should say Olympics after Olympics, they'd be able to come up and potentially medal. Maybe the US would lose. No uh, no third coming of the dream team. Who knows? That would be fascinating. I, I'd be, there's give and take on both scenarios whether they both do it one team one league does it it's going to be interesting speaking of the nba they are starting to put together best case scenarios on how to finish their season and they too are looking at kind of the hub scenario but they would just be having one hub now it's first reported by yahoo sports in mid-april that disney world would be the best case scenario for the nba to finish its season just like we've said, the NHL having a kind of hub places, Disney World, very empty right now, plenty of hotels, and it has the ESPN Wide World of Sports, which has practice facilities, game facilities. It's already broadcast ready. You'd be able to shuttle all the athletes without going off of Disney property, be able to quarantine them before. might even make the case to bring in families because there's so much space. You'd be able to self-isolate, but it would be all right there. There'd be food services who knows if Disney is going to be opening up anytime soon you could start this into June and uh, you know have the entire place to itself now the only thing I could see is if Disney wants to open up to the public if it would kind of block off certain resorts and hotels and areas so ESPN is kind of in a quadrant of Disney so no one's allowed in that area we could see that and still have Disney open up. The athletes aren't gonna to go to the parks. Maybe if they bring their families, they would go to the parks. You'd have to have rules and regulations where you wouldn't be able to have the families go to the parks or go to the movie theater, or Disney Springs. You'd have to put rules into place. I don't know if the players would go without their families. It would be a limited amount of personnel as well with the team now vegas has also been put out there as another potential one hub place for this uh there are plenty of hotels in vegas but i think they're a little more isolated and it's definitely kind of ready already at disney world to turn into kind of this nba all and there's also the uh, kind of partnership between the nba and disney they have the nba experience at disney springs more talks are going to have to be had uh before a solution is picked and uh, We will report whatever is chosen, but discussions are being had. It's not just you know basement conspiracy theories Discussions are being put out there. They're being reported on so there is at least some truth to these reports So we're getting closer to having an answer when sports will come back. Speaking of that a very unconfirmed report was uh, stated on Twitter this week that baseball coming back June first, just like that. Second, uh, second spring training starting June first and July first season starts, just just like that. I don't know how m- credible that is. I can't see it just happening like that. Uh, baseball is starting to come back, like we've talked about in Taiwan and uh, this week in Korea. Baseball can be played without fans and uh, is proving to be a good distraction. So I know baseball wants to be one of the first sports, at least the first league sport, to be back. I think the best case scenario is you might have to have the hub scenario, but with the spring training. So if you play in Arizona, you go to Arizona. If you play in Florida, you go to Florida to play. Uh, the newest report that has come out by multiple people is a new three-division and a 100-game season. It would start with centralized places so you do the Arizona Florida but by the summer teams would be playing home field games in the summer that's where it starts to get tricky with travel across borders there's a team in Toronto it's not all American teams there are travel restrictions currently going across borders it it's not happening it's close if you're not a essential worker you are not getting over now, if they deem baseball an essential work, ooh, that's going to, ooh, they're going to get lambasted. No, no sporting event is an essential service. I know it's, it brings comfort and you know normalcy and it you know mentally it can help a lot of people I still don't see it as an essential service that's where kind of the the hub scenario would come in you cross the border once which the NHL that could be a problem you'd have to get special recognition but you're not constantly going over the border this still kind of fits into that essential crossing the border but by the summer it could be different June is a month away July, two months away, but if nothing has kind of changed, traveling across that border, and if you're gonna have home games and then have constantly teams crossing the border, that's that's gonna rile up everyone. And if you're traveling too, are you gonna constantly be testing athletes? Who knows? The best case scenario I've seen is the three division and 100 games scenario I think it would be at a hub kind of scenario where all the teams would be staying in in an area or a state or province. Now many baseball players have said that they would not do the hub scenario without families because they don't want to be away from their families that long. That is definitely their right. But at the same time, can you contractually be made to go and play, finish off the season? If a lot of players don't do that, could their contracts be just kind of cut and then you can't play baseball? That's going to be, oh, this could open up a whole can of worms. It's going to be truly fascinating to see what happens going forward with each league and how they handle trying to start back up and making changes just to finish the season or start the season since baseball never got started. It's going to be fascinating. I think the next couple of weeks, by the end of May, that's we're really going to see how things take place and shape and where leagues are wanting to settle up and get going and what leagues have just not figured it out the players aren't budging it's really going to be it's going to be fascinating speaking of a league uh who's trying to get going the cfl they like the nfl held their draft at the end of april uh they did it digitally a little bit smoother i think uh it was still funny you got that homey feeling talking to the analysts the uh, the slowness with the uh, the draft pick, uh, you know, not having the commissioner talk. He had an inspirational speech at the beginning, uh, made me feel kind of pumped up. Uh, I was a little sad that he wasn't there to announce the draft picks, at least for the first round nine picks not that long uh, it felt homey down to earth the four analysts talking and uh, addressing each draft pick Uh, we'll do a breakdown of the first two rounds so uh, to start it off BC traded with Calgary to move up from a third to first and they picked linebacker Jordan Williams they swapped uh, their first and their second round draft picks with Calgary so they picked first Uh, But then Calgary got to pick uh, in BC's spot in the second. In BC's second round pick, they picked Nathan Rourke from Oakville, who played at Ohio University. I always love to see Canadian quarterbacks get taken and given a chance. Uh, I I think they get a bad rap a lot of the times. Even in the CFL, oh, quarterbacks, Canadian quarterbacks can't play. They're far, uh, you know, unskilled compared to the American counterparts. Uh, So we're getting there. There are a couple quarterbacks now in the league. If uh, Nathan can get it going, I really love to see the transition and how Canadians can take shape and uh, become a starting quarterback. Toronto had the next pick. They actually had a couple picks in the first two rounds. Uh, They're looking to turn around two bad seasons after winning the Great Cup in 2017. uh, They've kind of been on a downward spiral lately. So with their first pick, they uh, picked wide receiver Dejan Brissette, who's looking to help the offense, struggling offense. Uh, He was uh, also a returner at Virginia so always looking for that return game that can be the big turnaround in the CFL is having special teams, especially the kickoff and punt return. They also had the ninth pick in the first round. They picked Theron Churchill, a solid O-line, really giving that offense more stability and protecting the quarterback to get the ball out or get their run game going. They really struggled with their run game. So having that O-line control holes open up for the running game really opens up their offense. They then picked linebacker Jack Kasser from Carlton adding and bolstering their linebacking core. Their defense wasn't too terrible the past couple of years, but uh, the offense really needed work. You have to add defensive pieces as well to make your team grow. So they uh, focused on that in the later rounds as well. Calgary picked next after uh, trading with BC. So they picked up defensive end Isaac Adeam berglund who played at uh, southeastern louisiana and is from dartmouth nova scotia he's going to be a huge help he also played against the number one pick in the nfl joe burrow and he sacked him three times in a game so he's going to be a huge uh, member of the calgary defense in the second round they picked Treville pinto from ubc who actually sat out this past season uh, but a receiver uh, be a big target for uh, Bo Levi Mitchell going forward in the season you know, because they don't already have a ton of targets. Adding to that wide receiver core and the flexibility as a bonus for Calgary and they continue to be really high in the West. Edmonton picked up O-lineman Thomas Jack Kirtle to try and protect Trevor Harris. He's a four-year starter, uh, looking to looks to be pro-ready, and they also picked Alain Pay, a defensive line from Ottawa U. They really need to try and get more defensive help if they want to battle Calgary and defeat Calgary, but also trying to fend off Calgary and Winnipeg's defense if they want to be in the West final and not try and play in the East final every year. Hamilton, the standout of the East, uh, had two first round picks. They continued to build. Their first pick was O line Coulter Woodmansey from Guelph, first U sport athlete taken in the draft this year. Uh, and their second first round pick was Mason Bennett, D line from North Dakota. Their lines have been stacked O line, D line, so adding. Uh, you know pro ready defensive lineman and O-lineman really just going to help their offense and defense their second round draft pick was Bailey Feltman linebacker from Acadia first uh, AUS player taken this year just tweaking their positions to try and hold on to the east they have been top of the east basically since 2018 so they really uh, want to keep going Ottawa had the next pick, uh, even though they finished last, they signed Nick Arbuckle, traded picks with Calgary. So Calgary had their first round pick, which was number one and they traded to BC. So with their pick, they picked defensive back Adam Eau Claire from Laval. They're uh, much needed help for defense right there. They've always had a great defensive back core. It's struggled a little bit in the past couple years, but adding the explosive Laval product to help the secondary, working on that defense, They've worked on the offense. They've got a quarter, number one quarterback. They've got that number one quarterback. So adding to the defense and the defensive back help will just go forward. Their second round pick was a steal, I think, of the draft. Defensive line, Michael Hutch from Brown. The Brown product is a smart smart player he captained for two years and uh, will be a huge help for the defense and rebuild part of Ottawa. He did sign with the Rams uh, after the draft in the NFL so it's uncertain if he will make the Rams or get cut but if he comes to Ottawa it's going to be a huge addition to that defense. Saskatchewan only had one pick in the first two rounds They picked a homegrown Matt Riley O-line from the University of Saskatchewan. Helping that O-line, they almost had a trip to the Grey Cup just fell a little bit short and he's a small-town guy from Saskatchewan so they love they love those stories you know prairie boy growing up going to the hometown University and then going to the hometown team and uh, hopefully he can help them propel past the Calgary's and the Winnipeg's in the West to get to the Great Cup which they are hosting this year if everything goes to plan so they really want to be the home team and the host team in 2020. Winnipeg and Montreal only had picks in the second round. Montreal had two picks uh, in the second round. The, with their first second round pick, they picked Marc-Antoine Decoy, who played at the University of Montreal with current ALS GM Danny Machocha, who coached him. He did sign with a Green Bay, but if he does not make the NFL, the coaching staff knows what he can do and know where they can slot him in. Uh, with that relationship. They also added uh, defensive lineman Cameron Lawson from Queens. Montreal uh, starting to gain a little bit back after a couple years in the basement of the East adding to their defensive line and adding to their defense uh, is really their offense is starting to was starting to click in 2019 so getting their uh, defense ready uh, to battle Hamilton and make the playoffs again that's what they wanted. Winnipeg Uh, Only one pick in the second round, they pick Noah Hallett, uh, who joins the defending champions, also his brother on Winnipeg. Uh, Winnipeg looks to keep control of the West, fend off Calgary and Saskatchewan from surging, defeating them. Next in the second round, they had something called a territorial draft. It's a new thing started in 2019 teams that have the highest waiver priority will get one territorial pick uh, to pick a player born in their territory deemed by the cfl so in the second round ottawa and toronto had territorial picks ottawa picked players born in the ottawa gatineau area where toronto picked players from the gta area do believe that's more kind of north like markham uh, maybe york area because hamilton would have Uh, fall into some of that southern Ontario territory as well so uh, they uh, had two territorial picks I thought that was a little fascinating kind of cool you get to pick someone born in your territory get that homegrown feel I like that Next, we're going to dive into the Last Dance Episodes 5 and 6 recap. Episode 5 was dedicated to Kobe. Kobe even says in some interviews that uh, how much MJ influenced him. And without MJ, there would be no Kobe. Without MJ, there would be no five championships for Kobe. So it was uh, really cool to see him talk about kind of growing up with him, using him as an influence and how much he did for his game. Go into the last time potentially being at the garden, wanting to wear the same shoes that he wore in his first game at the garden. And they dive into uh, going to Nike, how he got into Nike. He really wanted to go to Adidas, didn't even want to take the meeting with Nike, but uh, his mom told him, get on that plane, you're going to meeting. Uh, They gave him $250,000 as a rookie. I'll take $200. Anyone wants to sponsor the podcast, I'm uh, open for all offers. Uh, but uh, that plan really paid off for Nike. Gave them a shoe deal. They said in the uh, in episode 5, uh, they were kind of hoping to sell $3 million worth of shoes. They sold $126 million in the first year. Now, Nike was a up-and-coming company at the time. They were more track shoe before. That was probably the best investment they ever made. And then continued to make with other athletes. But just... Amazing, you know, it became it grew. The shoe became more of a you know, changed the style each year. That's uh, you know, everyone buys a phone each year. The brand new model, the Air Jordan started that. You know, different shoes would only kind of change slightly over the years, but no biggie. Every year, brand new Air Jordan, you had to buy it. It was fashion, it was part of pop culture, it was in movies. You know, you wait hours outside just to get it, and then you don't even wear the shoe because it's so valuable. Also, uh, the kind of the tone towards the end of the first three, Jerry Krause just meddling. He meddled all the time. It's so fascinating. I don't know if GMs can meddle nowadays. Just with social media and the insights and kind of more openness with teams, I don't think GMs can meddle as much as Jerry Krause meddled. He would be, I think they would, the pure pressure from fans and just everyone in the leagues would just cause the GMs to be fired right away. They wouldn't be allowed to get to that point. Oh, I, I really want to know if there's a lot of meddling going on still, just they really have to keep it under wraps or else they know that they're done especially after the last dance is uh, showing how much Jerry really wanted to make everything his, which leads it into the dream team. I really enjoyed that shot of just MJ in the Barcelona stadium, just walking about, looking up. I could have watched half an hour of just that, put it on a loop, I'd be happy. That practice game in Monte Carlo, I've I've seen the tape before, not the entire game, not as much as what was on the documentary, but I've seen it before. Just show that, just release that. ESPN, you uh, have ears listening, I'm sure on this podcast, I'm sure you've listened to all two episodes already and you'll listen to this one as soon as it comes out. Have a special event, maybe the week after, episodes nine and ten of the last dance air air that practice game you might have a lot of editing to do with swear words it might be a little difficult you would have million i guarantee you have at least a million people watch that practice game i have heard other people talking about how fascinating it was to watch and i know it was just cool to sit in and listen just close your eyes and listen to what was happening and just you saw right then and there in that practice game how Charles Barkley said something and just Michael Jordan just went oh yeah okay I'll show you in a practice game that means nothing to take it from eight points down to win that practice game the intensity everyone had an intensity on that team everyone had a little bit of a you know know, were they're the greatest and it was really cool to see the trash talking oh my lord and the bus ride the tension the tension on the greatest team to ever play basketball and they wouldn't talk to each other on a bus for about half an hour until someone broke the ice because everyone thought they were pissed at each other. Oh, I really like to see the old Olympic games. The Olympic channel on Facebook is showing old events Which I think you should uh, check out. But the 92 Olympics was so great for basketball. You had, it was the first Olympics after the Cold War had ended. So you had new countries. You had, uh, you know, the new limelight of NBA players coming. You had more of a focus. You had thousands of people watching that might normally not watch the Olympics. You had teams like Croatia. You had, uh, you know, bands like the Grateful Dead helping out team Lithuania. was barely a country after the fall of the Berlin Wall and could not afford to send a team to the Olympics. But the band, the Grateful Dead, covered them to go to the Olympics and they ended up getting bronze. There's an amazing documentary called The Other Dream Team. I highly suggest you go and watch that you have time on your hands. talks about the Lithuanian team, their struggles, just, you know, being barely a country and just representing your new identity, how much that meant to them. Just every, you know, player, even Croatia with uh, Terry Kuko, you know, he talked about it. He was potentially going to the Bulls, but he wanted to stay in Europe a little bit longer because of the war, of the unsettling. He wanted to make sure his family was safe. I mean, he was getting paid handsomely but still that you don't know what's going to happen your family could be in danger war is happening all this stuff is happening around you a new country is being born that doesn't just all of a sudden be like oh everything is fine no hardship thousands of people dying all this happened and it really kind of came when the olympics happened all these new countries they had these guys were just trying to trying to prove that they mattered, that their country mattered, that they weren't just pushovers or easy games, especially when it came to playing, uh, you know, the USA and the Dream Team. Tony Kuko really showed that, especially in the gold medal game. Uh, the difference between the two, because they played in their first game and just got destroyed, part of that was because our dear friend Jerry Krause, meddling again, going over to Europe, trying to swoon Tony Kukoc to come over, and Scotty and MJ had it in them that we're going to teach this kid a lesson. They'd never met him before. They just, they did not like him because of Jerry. Eventually, Tony came over to the Bulls and was a great uh, teammate, sixth man of the year. Everything was smoothed out, but I kind of felt bad for him. And then they dive into the logo issue. This is one issue where I don't agree with Michael Jordan. Passion to be so petty not to show the Reebok logo I know you're loyal to the brand he did it kind of in a unique way with the United States flag so you can't harm him for uh, not wearing the uniform but you're at the Olympics that's what you're required to wear it's your uniform for the Olympics regardless of who made it Reebok paid thousands of dollars to outfit that's how it works a company's bid Olympic organizations pick the bid and then they make the clothes and you wear them. You don't like it, don't go to the Olympics. That's what I say. Just that's that's how it's kind of always been. Other people have, you know, you don't see Steph Curry, LeBron James, complaining that their logos aren't on the uniforms. All of that, it's that's it. But that's how I feel about it. I think that was kind of the one thing that he did wrong. He draped a flag over, so it's hard to hurt him, hurt him for that. But to be so petty not to show the Reebok logo is just because it was not his sponsor that that's passion but it took it a little too far I think how much uh, the ticket problem you know they sold out of season tickets in two hours on a Saturday uh, before the season started Atlanta played their last game against uh, Chicago in the Georgia Dome they had 60,000 people there you could teeny tiny it's like the NCAA tournaments now you're in AT&T Stadium in Texas you're very top you can't see who's playing you can't see the ball go in you're it's too far but that's how jordan sold he he sold out games no matter where he went also beers and cigars in the locker room after the game during the regular season man the game has changed michael talking about how uh you know when he started people be smoking cigarettes drinking beers during halftime how it's kind of transitioned to them they're just kind of relaxing after the game having a beer Which is fine. You just don't really see it nowadays, uh, at least in the locker room. But it was kind of a a way to get the pressure off, especially for Jordan. And you saw it in these episodes, how it was, he always had to be on, no matter where he was, on off the bus. As soon as he's off the bus, people want him in the hotel, in, in the lobby, outside of the locker room, talking to reporters, going outside anywhere even in the first episode when they went to paris like just mobbed you could see it was getting taxing on him after and he even said it you know you're on repeat on and on and on just it was so taxing and you know there's the conspiracy theory that he was going to be suspended for gambling which is why he took the two years or a year and a half off i think you could tell right there he was just tired of being mj taxing on him and he couldn't really take it anymore it was it was so it was heartbreaking to see again that's what you sign up for you're an athlete but at the same time you're not all athletes get that and it takes a special person to handle it and you know you really saw how much he enjoyed just sitting in his hotel room away from everyone and then there was the gambling everyone knew that Jordan liked to gamble and it came from being competitive i know being competitive especially in sports you want to believe that you can bet on yourself the smartest thing he ever did was never bet on kind of sporting events essentially anything that he was involved in or any sport he he bet on himself so lots of golf uh lots of casinos he loved to gamble part of that definitely comes from a competitive edge wanting to be right wanting just to win the thrill of winning he had the money like he said Uh, he doesn't think he had a gambling problem, he had a competitive problem. He feels that he didn't have a gambling problem because uh, he didn't put his lifestyle in danger or his life, his money, his wife, his kids, they weren't losing homes, they weren't losing possessions. So uh, I mean that's his definition of gambling problem. so he feels like he doesn't. It became taxing though, it became an issue when he didn't pay up or you know people starting to come out with books, just it became that's all they were asking him about. The uh, game before the Knicks uh, where he went to Atlantic City with his dad and his friends and then came back and had a horrible game as where it really came into just, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And it just built into the into it being taxing on him. And in the last third, like it said, it was just, it's mentally draining just hearing the same questions in the interview over and over and over again. He didn't want to be a role model. In the earlier episode, they talked about how he would go and talk, spend time with kids who were uh, ill, Uh, before and after games you saw him a lot signing autographs for kids he really tried to be that role model just talk to kids and you know be a a beacon for them but at the same time like it just got draining and you don't want to be around that you don't want to like he said it becomes taxing mentally draining and you don't want to do the same thing over and over and over again Uh, some of the players said that when he won the third championship in a row it was more of a relief than celebratory it's going to cover in the next uh, couple episodes his baseball and him probably missing basketball and wanting to get back that's what i thought when he uh, came back to basketball that he just missed it baseball wasn't the same as basketball obviously he wasn't as dominant in that sport he was still an athlete but just picking up baseball after playing basketball for you know almost 10 years it's tough just to just to be an athlete no one wants to just be an athlete especially michael jordan he wants he wants to be the best so there it is and uh there are four more episodes left two more weeks we will recap it here on the podcast and now it's time for some good news that will unite us the nfl says it's going to start on time with fans in the stands that could be some good news darren Drager reports that uh, the bauer company the hockey company uh, they started to make surgical shields uh, for frontline workers they are now developing medical grade shields that can be used by the hockey community not only professional athletes but everyone as far down as timbit anyone who plays hockey uh, can use this medical grade shield for when they play to feel safe, so that when it gets time to be able to play, if there's no vaccine, we might feel a little bit safer to be able to play and get kids active. These companies that are stepping up, not only to help the frontline workers, but start to look for solutions for the public to start to get back to normal. Those are the companies that we should be supporting. Good on you, Bauer. The Kentucky Derby was supposed to happen this past weekend, but that has been moved to September 5th. So what best to replace it with? Well, the Kentucky Turtle Derby. The last time that the Kentucky Derby was moved was during World War II back in 1945. So what they did was they had a turtle race. To bring back the best sporting tradition uh, around is to bring back the slowest two minutes in sports. They brought back the Kentucky Turtle Derby. Uh, this was presented by Old Foster, uh, brilliant idea, I think. They had a whole kind of 10-minute presentation where they introduced the turtles. They had fun names. Uh, my favorite was uh, Galapa Go. he uh, placed second, uh, so I was cheering him on to, to go from the fastest two minutes in sports, which they call the Kentucky Derby, to the slowest two minutes. It was a lot of fun, made me uh, happy and smile, so uh, go watch that on YouTube on the Old Foster uh, YouTube channel. You can go watch the race, it takes about five minutes for the whole presentation. Enjoy a beverage while you're doing it, uh, and smile, that's what they're trying to do. Good on ya. The UFC is going to have an event this weekend on the 9th. Still not a lot is known about it, it's going to happen in Jacksonville, so we could have our first taste of actual person-to-person sport. Uh, We will recap that if it does happen. Keep you posted. Watch our social media pages again, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, the Kansas City Chief uh, O-Lineman, is a doctor got his doctorate last year won the Super Bowl in February and is back in Quebec being a frontline worker working hard in the medical field using that hard-earned degree and putting it to good work in an orderly home in uh, Quebec good on you this is the type of sports icon we need people to look up to I know there are kids definitely in Kansas City and all over Canada who are looking up he proves it's possible that hard work you can accomplish anything won a super bowl is using his doctorate to good use uh you sir are an amazing human being i wish to meet you sometime uh when this is all over hear your stories uh good on you thank you for all that you do that's where we will leave it here today thank you very much for listening I told you this is going to be a big episode. The first two were just warm-ups. Now we're getting into the rhythm. We're getting full episodes out there. I'm still looking for your recommendations on feel-good videos to watch. If you have a recommendation of what uh, documentaries you uh, we should cover, what movies we should cover, what you're looking forward to, send us uh, some. What you think? Uh, what sports we should start to cover? We're going to have guests soon talking about different sports, what they mean to people. Do you have any guest recommendations? I cannot guarantee that I can get a pro athlete or anyone in the sporting business. Uh, even though they have a lot of time on your on uh, their hands, I have no pulls whatsoever. I can send out messages. Who knows? Uh, if you want a specific athlete, tag them. Say go on this podcast. Uh, you know, we have Facebook, Instagram, uh sportsy Night Podcast, Twitter, Sportsingite Pod1. Email address is sportsunitepodcast at gmail.com. Send us with recommendations. I'm looking forward to it any feel-good videos you have post it on our social media. That'll do it for this episode. I want you all to stay safe, get outside, go for a walk, go for a run, start to get active, feel the air, feel the sun, the spring is here. We're gonna get through this. It's all gonna be okay. Sports are starting to come back. We'll be able to watch sports together. But until then, stay safe, don't forget to love each other, and have a great day.